Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be regarding Alma chapter 36. Now, this is um, uh, commandments that he's that Alma is giving to his son Helaman. Remember, he's got a few sons that were helping him with missionary work, and so this uh, this first one's going to be to his son Helaman, and uh, both 36 and 37 are to Helaman. All right. Um, this chapter, if you're familiar with chiasmas, this is a chiasm, uh, this entire chapter. Um, and the center point appears to be between 17 and 18. So that must be the focus of the chiasm. So interesting, uh, that's a Hebrew um, literary form, which Joseph Smith could not have known and uh, probably couldn't have done this on his own anyway. So this is uh, another evidence that this is translated material, that this is actually uh, Joseph Smith translating from a Hebrew cultural text. All right, let's get into this. Verse 1, My son, give ear to my words, for I swear unto you that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. I would that ye should do as I have done in remembering the captivity of our fathers, for they were in bondage. We are all actually in bondage to sin, no matter how small the sin. And none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, and he surely did deliver them in their afflictions. Jesus is the only one that's going to be able to... Um, deliver us, isn't he? Uh, and we need to trust in him to do that. Verse 3, And now, O my son Helaman, behold, thou art in thy youth, and therefore I beseech of thee that thou wilt hear my words and learn of me, for I do know that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions and shall be lifted up at the last day. John Taylor said, There are many things that seem to us trials and difficulties that perplex, annoy, and harass our spirits, yet these very things, as one justly observed, are blessings in disguise. So many helps to, to us to develop our weaknesses and infirmities and lead us to put our trust in God and rely upon Him to give us a knowledge of ourselves, of our neighbors, and of the work of God. They have a tendency to develop principles of worth to our minds, and thus they serve as schoolmasters, helps and instructors, and as and are to us as many blessings in disguise. In fact, all things that we have to do with in this world, whether they are adversity or prosperity, whether they relate to ourselves or to others, if rightly appreciated and understood, may teach us a lesson that will be to our joy, probably not only in time, but in all eternity. Otten and Caldwell said, We note that the prophet did not make promises in case we have trials, but rather when we do. We need not wonder why the Lord doesn't prevent our troubles from occurring, or whether he actually causes our trials and tribulations. While we bring many afflictions upon ourselves by committing sin, most afflictions are simply hazards of mortality and cannot be avoided. Saints who wonder why the Lord doesn't protect his people from suffering must realize that the Lord's purpose is to prepare people for problems instead of preventing those problems. In other words, we would have the Lord remove our burdens instead of instead he increases our capacity to carry them. Oftentimes we are praying for relief from trials, but we're, we're actually praying for uh, to, to have the experiences of mortality taken away from us. And that's why we've come here is to have these experiences in mortality. 
Verse 4, And I would not that ye think that I know of myself, not of the temporal, but of the spiritual, not of the carnal mind, but of God. To restate this phrase, the more modern meaning might be, I would not that ye think that I know by study, not of the temporal learning, but rather of the spiritual learning, not from the learning of man, but from the mind or teaching of God. And that was a quote by Brand Gardner. Verse 5, Now behold, I say unto you, if I had not been born of God, I should not have known these things. But God has, by the mouth of his holy angel, made these things known unto me, not of any worthiness of myself. Remember that uh, Alma uh, was converted by the angel, or at least the angel started that conversion process. Um, verse 6, for I, for I went about with the sons of Mosiah, seeking to destroy the church of God. We confess our sins at the level they were committed. If we sin openly, and it is known to a wide group, then we are to confess openly. If our sins are known to no one, then we confess to the Lord and to the person injured. But behold, God sent his holy angel to stop us by the way. And behold, he spake unto us, as it were, the voice of thunder, and the whole earth did tremble beneath our feet, and we all fell to the earth, for the fear of the Lord came upon us. But behold, the voice said unto me, Arise, and I arose, and stood up, and beheld the angel. And he said unto me, If thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. And it came to pass that I fell to the earth, and it was for the space of three days and three nights that I could not open my mouth, neither could I use the use of my limbs." Neither had I used the use of my limbs. And the angel spake more things unto me, which were heard by my brethren, but I did not hear them. For when I heard the words, If thou wilt be destroyed of thyself, seek no more to destroy the church of God, I was struck with such great fear and amazement, lest perhaps I should be destroyed, that I fell to the earth and I did hear no more. But I was racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up to the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Notice he's using some harvesting uh, equipment mentioned here to be harrowed up and to be racked. Now, those are implements of, uh, of destruction, implements to, uh, to, to turn over the soil. Verse 13, Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities. In the day of judgment, the wicked will have a perfect knowledge of all their sins, for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. Yea, I saw that I had rebelled against my God and that I had not kept his holy commandments. Yea, and I had murdered. Now Alma was so concerned that he may have caused people to forever be removed from the grace of God that he considered it to be murder, or better stated, spiritual murder, killing them spiritually. Yea, I had murdered many of his children, or rather led them away unto destruction. Yea, and in fine, so great had been my iniquities that the very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body, that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. Isn't that the uh, hope of all people that sin and don't repent, is that they're going to just be extinct and no longer exist so that they don't suffer punishments? Alma tasted only a portion of that pain spoken of. The scriptures are clear that no one fully understands unless they have experienced it. Thus, those who have seen this torment in vision still don't know the height, the depth, and the misery thereof. The early missionaries in England were shown what it would be like for the damned souls of hell when they witnessed a brief vision of the evil spirits which had joined forces to destroy the work. Heber C. Kimball gave a brief description of that, which I won't go into right now, but uh, you can read that another time. Verse 17, so here 17 and 18 are the uh, center of the chiasm here. So let's see what uh, this is the point that uh, Alma is making here. Verse 17, and it came to pass that I was thus racked with torment while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins. Behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. 
It is only through Christ's atonement that we can be saved. This is the center of the chiasmus. Christ is the Son of God. The prophets teach how painful guilt can be. The prophet Alma, describing his feelings of guilt, said he was racked with eternal torment. The prophets chose very graphic words. Racked means tortured. Anciently, a rack was a framework on which the victim was laid with each ankle and wrist tied to a spindle, which could then be turned to cause unbearable pain. A harrow is a frame with spikes through it. When pulled across the ground, it rips and tears into the soil. The scriptures frequently speak of souls and minds being harrowed up with guilt. Torment means to twist, a means of torturing so painful that even the innocent would confess. That was by Elder Boyd K. Packer. Verse 18 is the continuation of the, the center of the chiasmus. Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness, and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. Hugh Nibley said, There could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. On the other hand, there could be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. Perfect parallelism. And incidentally, when he says, O oh, Jesus, any Muslim or Jew who would say, Well, why not call on God directly? Why call on Jesus? Well, that's the point of the whole thing. It was God he had offended. The last person in the world he wants to meet is God. He has offended God. What he wants is a kind person who will feel with him and know what he is going through. And of course, that's the Lord. That's Christ. He descended below all things. He suffered all these things, so he knows. Alma appeals to the one he can appeal to. He's scared. He doesn't want to go to God. I'd sooner be extinct than have to face him, he feels. But there is Jesus. He will get me out. He is the Savior. He knows. So he appeals to him, and then his work is really beginning. Isn't that interesting that he appeals to Christ, who is the one who can save him, uh, as opposed to going to, directly to God? Verse 19, Now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more, and I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. He is forgiven, but that is only the beginning of the salvation process. And oh, what joy, joy is the fruit of the presence of the Holy Ghost, and what marvelous light I did behold, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. Now, this is, as I mentioned, the center of the chiasmus. Now, it's interesting that here that Alma is mentioning that he was forgiven pretty quickly after he uh, appealed to Christ. Oftentimes, our prayers aren't answered. But if we were to ask Heavenly Father uh, to choose something in which he would answer us immediately, I think this is what he would choose, is that once we ask for forgiveness, he will grant it immediately. Now, there is still some process of repentance to go through for a lot of us, but uh, he, he does forgive very quickly. Verse 21, Yea, I say unto you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and again I say unto you, my son, that on the other hand, there could be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. The teachings and testimonies of parents and other good people have an, have an inevitable, inexorable effect. Those lessons are not lost on even the most wayward soul. Somewhere, somehow, they get recorded in the soul and may be called upon in a great moment of need. It was in such a moment that the young Alma remembered also to have heard my father prophesy. That prophecy may have been uttered in a day when Alma was taunting his father or jeering at those who believed or willfully denying the reality of revelation. It may have come at a time when his father assumed Alma did not care or hear or understand, or it may have come so early in his life that his father might have thought he had forgotten. However, or now it was being called forth for the very protection it had intended to give. There will always be a great power, even latent, delayed, residual power in the words in the words of God that we utter. That was by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. Oftentimes when I'm teaching, I know that uh, 
I might say something and I know that it may not be have any effect immediately, but maybe later. I always call those time bombs that maybe these will think these will be things that they'll remember later in their lives that uh, that will that might make a meaning or might make a, a difference in their lives. And so uh, Alma had a time bomb go off here. Verse 22, Yea, methought I saw, even as our father Lehi saw, God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their God. Yea, and my soul did long to be there. Alma must have read the plates of Nephi where this story was written because he quotes from it. But behold, my limbs did receive their strength again, and I stood upon my feet and did manifest unto the people that I had been born of God. Alma's story is preserved in the scriptures because it is an unusual and it is so unusual and powerful. For virtually everyone in Alma's day and ours, the process of being born again is quiet and unobtrusive, yet all conversion experiences ought to contain certain elements in common. We must be cautious, President Benson said, as we discuss these remarkable examples. Though they are real and powerful, they are the exception more than the rule. For every Paul, for every Enos, and for every King Lamoni, there are hundreds and thousands of people who find the process of repentance much more subtle, much more imperceptible. Day by day, they move closer to the Lord, little realizing they are building a godlike life. Verse 24, Yea, and from that time even until now, I have labored without ceasing that I might bring souls unto repentance. <clears throat> that I might bring them to taste of the exceeding joy of which I did taste, that they might also be born of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Yea, and now behold, O my son, the Lord doth give me exceedingly great joy in the fruit of my labors. For because of the word which he has imparted unto me, behold, many have been born of God and have tasted as I have tasted, and have seen eye to eye as I have seen. Therefore they do know of these things of which I have spoken as I do know, and the knowledge which I have is of God. And I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, yea, and in all manner of, of afflictions, yea, God has delivered me from prison and from bonds and from death, yea, and I do put my trust in him, and he will still deliver me. God never bestows upon his people or upon an individual superior blessings without a severe trial to prove them, to prove that individual or that people to see whether they will keep their covenants with him and keep in remembrance what he has shown them. Then the greater the vision, the greater the display of the power of the enemy. So when individuals are blessed with visions, revelations, and great manifestations, look out. Then the devil is nigh you, and you will be tempted in proportion to the, to the visions, revelations, or manifestations you have received. And that was by Brigham Young. Verse 28, And I know that he will raise me up at the last day to dwell with him in glory, yea, and I will praise him forever. So it sounds like Alma had his calling and election made sure. For he has brought our fathers out of Egypt, and he has swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea, and he led them by his power into the promised land, yea, and he has delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time. Now this uh, quoting of uh, ancient events of the Egyptians, of crossing of the Red Sea and so on, was pretty common among the Israelites, the Jews, that they always have done that. In fact, they still do that today. They remember the Passover and all these things. It's interesting that the restoration of the gospel, it's mentioned in the scriptures, will supersede in memory even the events of Moses and the, and the Israelites. And so the events that we are watching and witnessing regarding the restoration are going to overshadow uh, from a historical standpoint those things that, are, that happened anciently. Verse 29, Yea, and he has also brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem, 
and he has also by his everlasting power delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time, even down to the present day. And I have always retained in remembrance their captivity, yea, and ye also ought to retain in remembrance as I have done their captivity. But behold, my son, this is not all, for ye ought to know, as I do know, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. And ye ought to know also that inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God, ye shall be cut off from his presence. Now this is according to his word. And that's the end of chapter 36. And so as Alma is mentioning here that he knows these things by, by himself, by the spirit of revelation, and he's encouraging us to do the same, that we need to know these things by revelation too. I bear testimony that that's true and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come back for part two of Alma's talk to his son Helaman in the next one. Thanks. Bye.